Hello friends, it's Jim Nance and it's my great pleasure to welcome you to Beyond the Clubhouse, a podcast hosted by my friend Garrett Johnston. He is a testament to one of the great things about this sport, the friendships that come from playing or even just talking about the game. And you're going to meet some of the characters that Garrett has gotten to know from this past decade plus that he's been covering the sport. You're going to hear from players, caddies, members of the media. You're going to get the storytelling, the golf news, the players' swing tips, and a whole lot of laughs. It's coming your way with this edition of Beyond the Clubhouse. Here's Garrett. All right, Jim Nance, as always, thank you for that introduction. And what a Super Bowl that was. Of course, Nance called it there on CBS with Tony Romo, uh, that power duo. What a seventh Super Bowl win that was for Tom Brady. And, of course, I guess it was a hundredth time that Jim Nance has called uh, a Tom Brady game. So pretty cool stuff there. I've got one of Jim Nance's former colleagues, Gary McCord. We heard him for over three decades on CBS Sports always in the 16th tower so of course coming out the phoenix open we got some great stories and great moments of 16 at phoenix we all love that whole there tpc scottsdale the fans and gary just has so much personality so animated so he gets into all that we get into of course pebble beach week so i want to get some great stories from the at&t the old crosby clam bake of course he played in about 15 of them uh, before he started calling them for cbs so some great moments from over the years with uh, Bill Murray. There's so much here in this episode. You're going to love it with Gary McCord. Before we get to that, Encore Golf, check him out at EncoreGolf.com. Check out the Elixir Golf Ball. Give it a chance. It's a tour golf ball. Right now, you can get an awesome deal for a two-dozen pack, $49.98 if you order online, EncoreGolf.com, and then you get $5 off, a 10% with my promo code BClubhouse. The letter B is in Bravo, Clubhouse. To get you basically tour quality balls for $45. Pretty good deal there. Check it out. They are Golf Digest Hot List Gold Winner, the Elixir Golf Ball. They're all about perimeter weighted design. Delivers incredible velocity, accuracy, and distance off the tee. That's what we want in a golf ball, right? Everybody wants some distance, so that's what it's about. Check them out, EncoreGolf.com. Let's get you here. Gary McCord on Beyond the Clubhouse. I'm very pleased to be joined. My next guest is Gary McCord. Of course, you've heard him for 35-plus years on CBS Sports. You hear him now on Sirius XM Radio with Drew Stoltz. They are quite a team. Uh, Gary, what's going on today? How are you? Good. How about yourself, Gary? Everything well? I'm good. I was just joking uh, off, off air there just a minute ago. I played golf in 29 degrees at TPC Potomac, a place that you have spent some time with. <laughs> that is just sick. You have nothing to do, don't you? Nothing well, no. No, it's that I have so much time with all my kids. I'm always watching my kids. I get a three-hour window, and I have oh. to play golf, right? I got it. I got it. Three kids. Yeah, I got it. You got to get out of the house. No question. Yeah. got to get out of the house. How are those greens at 29 degrees? Well, they're thud, thud. They're, they're, they're pretty fast, man. I mean, chipping is a joke. You have to land it 10 feet short of every green and just let it release. So, so. what happens if you're hitting a four-iron into some of those greens? What happens? We, what, you're saying if you hit a fairway, roll it, roll it in from the fairway. Oh yeah, let's say you got uh, what, what? What's the eleventh <laughs> hole there, or twelfth hole? That long hole. You got to hit driver yeah. five iron. We're playing the five iron, hundred yards short of the green, and let it ice all the way up there. My favorite kind of golf is Scottish Lynx golf, baby. So go. it just brings me yeah. back right to St Andrews. <laughs> you got it. You got it. But anyway, hey, Gary, I wanted to get into some cool stories with you. 
Obviously, um, the Phoenix Open, of course, has been going on. And I want to ask you about number 16. You have called so many shots there. What really comes to mind with some of your favorite memories of 16? Um, and not so much of the shots. It's just the, the idiocy that's out there. When we, when we started that thing, I'll, I'll tell you a story. I think we opened uh, the TPC Scottsdale, I think it was in, in 1986 or 1987 was the first tournament. And we're out there playing, and, you know, really nothing's going on at that time. It's, it's not that big of a deal. It's a big deal, but nothing like you see now with all the different corporate tents and everything else. And the 16th hole, was just it's a little part of three, but 176 yards, tipped, tipped. Pin back, tee back, it's 176. It's nothing. Um, you play a bunch <laughs> of really interesting holes on literally the whole back nine coming into 16, and then you finish with a couple of really good holes. So 16 just kind of sitting there. And now in the old days, 16th hole, they, it was a tee back there, and they had some bleachers, just bleachers. And there was, I would say, aluminum bleachers. They were probably 10 deep up, not too wide, just right behind the tee, okay? And about 100, I would say, 100 steps from there, over by the berm, um, towards the canal yeah. was a TGIF Fridays. Got it? Yeah. And for some reason, the kids from ASU came out there and took over those bleachers. Took them over because TGIF Fridays right there. So they had easy access to the beer <laughs> right there. <laughs> the so good stuff. Would up, and there was just, you know, a group of them, I don't know, 30 of them up there. And they were hooting and hollering at you and everything. So I remember the second year I was there after I'd seen that. I remember I'm on the tee and they were just then starting to do the wait, 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 wait until impact and then go, ah, they started driving, crazy. Right? And they were, you could hear them gambling and stuff like that. So I got up on the tee and I told my two playing guys I was with, I said, watch this. So I get up and I took it back and I started out and I stopped. Okay, and, uh, and, they all get it. and I turned around and I went like, what was that? What, what was that? What are you doing? And they all started booing and everything. And I went, hold up. So I reached, reached in my golf bag and I pulled out and I, I had the centerfold playmate of the year. And I took it out and I held it up and they went insane. Okay. So I get to the next tee, 17th tee. Here comes a rules official. And he goes, come here. And I go, what? He goes, what are you doing back? Are you inciting a riot back there? What are you doing? Nothing. What do you mean, what am I doing? I knew there was no official back there, right? So I don't know who tattled on me. So I know one of my playing partners. So I'm going, okay, who tattled? So I just kept denying it. I didn't do anything. What do you mean? Well, they, they were yelling and screaming. You did something. I saw you hold up something. I don't know what you're talking about. Declaration of Independence. I want to see if they can read it from here. Whatever. So they go, you can't do that again. You can't incite the riot. So now you look and fast forward to, we won't take this year, obviously, but let's let's take 2019, you know, when CBS was doing it. On Saturdays, there was, I think the last time I was there, there was 223,000 people there on Saturday. 223,000. Now wow. you want to talk about screaming. That is unbelievable. I used to go down and have to do the opening of the show on Gator Cam. And Gator Cam is that big, huge camera that's got the telescopic arm that goes out. 
and they can hold it over time and space and they hold it over the over the bleachers there and they can do all sorts of things so basically i've got to do a lead-in for the tournament from the t on 16 with every idiot drunk in the world there <laughs> screaming and yelling okay all your neighbors all my neighbors so it's really something you really it's it's like trying to make a three-footer for the win okay it's got your full attention because you're going to hear stuff in the background. So I remember the last time I did it, I went over and I aimed the camera and I had the guy aim the camera to the left of the T is where all the idiots are in the costumes, big bird. Okay. And you've got Superman and, and you've got, you name it. It's over there in costumes. So I went over and I, before we got on about 10 minutes, I said, all right, now listen guys. And I'm talking to these idiots. Listen, you guys, um, I'm going to have the camera aimed at you. We're going to go on live over here. I'm going to do a lead in and I want you to hoop and holler and all that stuff. I do not want to hear any swear words. You got it? Big bird, are you listening? So I'm pointing to this stupid bird that's nine foot tall. Tell him not to say the F word, right? Don't say it because it'll be on live television. So all they're going to do is they're going to take it out and you guys won't get on the camera, right? So if you guys just are loud, I don't care what you do, just don't give me the F word, all right? Okay, fine, good. I'm sitting there going, I've just talked to a nine-foot bird about saying the F word on live television. So I get over there, and, and here we go, and we're going to do it. And just as I start to go, <laughs> my producer goes, hold on, hold on. Basketball just went overtime. I go, what? He goes, it's gone overtime. We're going to be on a little late, so we'll use it. Anyway, went overtime. Went overtime about 10 minutes, and we had to go right into golf shots. So I didn't even get to do the lead-in on the on the thing. And Big Bird, but I, I went like this to Big Bird over there. They started booing me and flipping me the bird. And everybody was like, come on, guys. I tried. Anyway, that's the stuff I remember not. I don't remember one golf shot there. Other than, other than, I'll give you this one. On the anniversary on the anniversary of Tiger Woods's hole in one on the 16th hole in his infancy, the infancy there. I was partners with a guy named Gene Parenti of Golf Laboratories who has the robot that plays golf, Eldrick. I got to name him, L-D-R-I-C-K, R-I-C, uh, Launch Directional, um, whatever, I'm, I put an acronym in there. Anyway, it's a seven-foot robot that can play golf, okay? Gene Parente is the guy that tests all the equipment. So he makes all the robots you see that hit balls and sells them to Titleist and all the, all the companies, tailor-made. So I told him one day, can we make this thing where we put a, a head on him and a body and cover up all the hydraulics and everything? And can, he, can you teach him how to chip and putt and all that? And he goes, yeah. So six months later, he brings out this robot to me and we go try it and it's and we went to golf courses in the morning before they open with a robot. And the guy works the robot much like you work, you work any, any kind of remote control deal, right? And the robot goes down the fairway. Wherever it hits it, it plays it from that lie. It plays golf. Okay? And this thing is unbelievable. It can Perfect. hit it. It can hit it. Um, uh, it probably hit it with electricity. We've got we – got, we got the lithium batteries in it now. So he can probably hit about 370, 380, something like that. And he Ridiculous. puts, he puts, he puts everything. It's unbelievable. Anyway, 
they want to have the robot on Wednesday in front of all the people there. Go hit. He gets five shots at a hole in one, right? So we go into a clinic on the other golf course with all these kids. This robot's seven foot tall, Eldrick. So here we go. We go to the driving range, and the driving range of TPC is right next to the Coliseum there on 16. So I'm looking over, and I'm looking at the wind direction. So I tell my programmer there with the thing, I said, okay, I need 168 yards, and I need it to cut about six feet. So he goes, okay, fine. So he gets on the thing, and he goes, da-da-da, with the deal, and he hits enter. And here goes the robot. And he hits it, and I'm watching, watching. I said, that one. The guy went, enter. So we got it. 168, it had a four-foot cut. I needed to hold it up against the wind, right? So we got everything done. So here it comes in the Coliseum. We roll this thing. It's remote control, so it goes by itself, right? <laughs> These people go nuts because there's nobody working there. They can't see anybody working on a robot, right? So it marches into the Coliseum, and we start to go to the T, the back T at 168 yards, right, where we programmed it. And the marshal's going, no, 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 no. You've got to play down here. They don't want you on the back T. I said, no, 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 no. we got to go to the T, the back T, 168. We've got the freaking thing programmed for 168. It's got a seven iron. It's the only club we brought, right? Eldrick's going to go crazy. Eldrick's going to go nuts. So now they go, they go up to the front. T at a, I, one of the tour caddies <laughs> there said, give me your Bushnell. So I hit it, and we've got 143. So I, I go to Gene. I go, Gene, you've got 143. What are you going to do? He says, I don't know. I, so all we got is a seven iron. I can't hit it that short because if you take off the speed, the ball's going to have no spin. It's going to be flat, right? And it's you know where to stop it. So he goes one, two, third one. Every ball hit really good right in the front, and it ran right off the back of the green about 60, 70 feet. It's got uh -huh. no spin. We can't, we can't hit it that short. So, Gene, this is one of the great – this is only an engineer would think of this. So, Gene goes his last ball, which with the fourth ball, he teed it up about two inches and moved Eldrick back two inches so the ball was up on the toe and it was teed up two inches in the air. So he deadened it and, and because the club is twisting, it's twisting a little open at that point, right? So it got a little loft. So, it, yeah. so I, I've got no other choice and it went right in the hole. So oh my gosh. 25,000 people went bananas. They went robot basically they just went out of their mind and and long story short we got we got 23 million hits on our website for eldrick around the world after that hole in one so that that by far is the damnest shot i've ever seen because it was a total fluke and the engineer figured out the only way he was going to hit a seven iron that was already pre-programmed at 168 with a four foot cut could get it in the hole from 143 it was brilliant absolutely brilliant that is crazy. Wow. Well, that's that's Waste Management Phoenix Open. That's a certain week of the year, part of the West Coast Swing. You've covered so many of them. you played so many of them. I want to ask you about AT&T at Pebble Beach, the old Crosby clam bake. What comes to mind? I know there's certain moments there, the Saturday morning when you're out there early with Jim Nance and in years past and Ian Baker Finch and Verity, all those guys. But you're on a practice green. And there are all kinds of personalities there. What, what is that like? What comes to mind from over the years? Well, from over the years, the first thing I remember when I first started playing it, um, I, I, I played um, 
I had a buddy of mine from San Francisco golf club that I played with. And, um, and when you played and in, in the rotation at that point was Cypress point and Cypress point on, on when you start the back nine, the, the tenth hole goes down the hill. There's a little valley down there. To the right of the tenth hole is the eleventh green, set down about eighty feet. And to the left is a par five, coming back up numbers six. Yeah, five or six. Anyway, there's a little valley there. We went three or four holes, and Ben Crosby used to walk back and forth and talk to everybody. That was his deal. So he he got to go in three holes or four holes with the par three, number seven. There, he'd walk back and forth and just say hi to everybody, you know, and he had his little walking stick with as a seat. He'd sit there watch. He hit a couple of shots, and he and Sandy were pretty good friends, my partner. So Bing would come and walk with us, you know, for a couple of holes, which was which was really cool. That's the first thing I remember. Um, oh, this is a good story. I just remember this one. <laughs> first year I played in the Crosby. First year. My first tournament, and it was 19... 19- 74. So I, I'm playing the Crosby Clan Bank, and this is my first golf tournament. I tee it up on the PGA Tour. Okay. Get my card in 70, uh, 73. I got it. Yeah, the qualifying school then was in, uh, it was in November. And then so the first tournament I chose to play was the Crosby. So I get there and I'm playing Cyprus. And it is a nasty, nasty day and it got worse um so bad that the seagulls and the seals all went to hide there was not a seagull around they were hiding in the bushes the seals were in caves down there by the 16th hole hiding in there they wouldn't even go out in the water it was brutal so we get to and i'm having it's my first turn my first round of golf i'm having the worst day possible known to man okay And I get up on the 16th tee, and I am absolutely drenched. You can't even put a hat on because they would blow off. It was cold, rainy for the entire day. And I got on the tee, and it's blowing. Have you ever played Cypress? I haven't yet. Uh, But, yeah, the par three, long par three. If you look to your right, if you look hard enough, you can see Hawaii, okay? It's (laughs) nothing but ocean. And the wind is coming from Hawaii right at us. And it's about 40 degrees. And it is raining sideways. Now, the hole to carry it is about, from back there, about 220. Okay? So I pegged the driver up. I can't even get across the layup area with the driver. But I'm going for it. And the hole had to be playing 410. Okay? At that point. And it was a par three, right? And I got this thing teed up. I'm 17 over par. Oh. 17 over. This is my first round on the PGA Tour. 17 over par and I don't give a damn because I am going to hit this on the green I would have made I, God knows what I made on this hole I got to put pegged in I start to step back and you've got one hand up like this and you're trying to look out there where you're going to aim this thing which doesn't matter I can't get there anyway and just as I do that I hear the golf carts coming down and these are the old days where they didn't have horns you couldn't hear them and Gordy Glenn was an old tour official he goes, guys, guys, we're calling off, calling off. It's just, it's unplayable. Go home, get dry, get out of here. I go, Gordy, can I hit this tee shot? He says, I don't care. So he's going to the next, he's got to go and he's got to tell all these groups, let's go home. He says, start on one, we start over. 
So I hit this tee shot. I hit it hard and right where I was aiming, right at the green, I was 150 yards short of the green. So I hit a hundred, I hit a hundred yards, my tee shot, hit it good, hit a hundred yards. Okay. And I was going to, oh, and I was going to stay there until I got the ball on land. I don't know what I would have made. Right. So long story short, I get there the next day on the 16th tee, 24 hours later, I had just birdied seven holes in a row. I am eight under par at that point in the round with three to go. Oh, I stood on that tee 25 shots better than I did the day before. And I, what did I do? What did I do? Eight under, what did I do on that hole? I laid it up to the left because if, if you've got a good score going, you can ruin it with one bad swing there. So your layup area over there, there's, a, there's, a, there's an old cypress that, that laid across kind of this way and you aim it to the left of it and just hope you got it on land over there by the 17th fairway. And then you had a full wedge in basically on this part uh. too. So I laid it up and, uh, and then went par, par and shot 60. Five and I led the tournament. So I went from I went from seventeen over par, seventeen <laughs> over. But I still had three holes to go, right? I don't want to win a shot, and I, I ended up leading the tournament the next day. So that was it. That's the first true story. That's the first first round of Pebble Beach, first tournament ever I played on the tour. Right at the eighteen, well the Crosby Clam Bake at the time. Seventy fifth anniversary is this year of that event you have probably been a part of it for what probably 50 of those 75 years right 15 as a player 35 as a broadcaster so w what is an aspect of that tournament that that these golf fans need to know more about uh of the AT&T um in the old days it was really cool because all the old-time actors there from you know from Bing and um Phil Harris, who used to sit, uh, you, uh, you millennials, I don't know if you guys know who <laughs> Phil Harris is, but he go, go Google him. Uh, he was fantastic, an old crooner, a comedian. He was funny. And Frank Cherkinian, our executive producer, put him down on the, eight, on the 17th tee with me on the couch, and we would just entertain all the celebrities coming in there, and they'd hit a shot, and we'd interview them. Uh, Phil Harris was there. Johnny Weissmore was there. Glenn Campbell is a great friend of mine. He's, he's, a, he's a neighbor here. He was a neighbor here in, uh, in Arizona. Just all, all these guys that you, and they would have the clan bake. And the clan bake was over at the, um, the yacht club. And they would get over there and start singing and dancing and all the celebrities would get up and whatever they did, they would get up and do a little deal. And this, that's how the whole, and they just get hammered. And you can see <laughs> these guys the next day are just, they were oblivious to any kind of weather because they couldn't feel any pain at all. <laughs> and that's how the whole thing started. It was just a wild party. And, uh, and then it kind of, you know, it morphs obviously as corporate America comes in and, and they take, some of those celebrities and move them here and over there to do speeches and entertain their clients over here and there. So it, it changed a lot from one big party with all, all the boys to now it's kind of a, just a big corporate deal with uh, um, whatever celebrities are there, they come in and do their, their thing, which they're very good at, very good at. Well, it's interesting. I think about that event and it's in February, right, in California. And yeah. I remember talking to a, a joint friend of ours, Sandman, you know, Matt Sanders. Yeah. And 
And Sandman told me the reason why it's in February, of course, this is all Bing Crosby's idea, the clam bake, to have it. But the reason why it's in February is because that's the time of the year when you want to get more tourism. This is back 75 years ago in in that part of California. That's just the dead time of the year. And lo and behold, here we are 75 years later. Yeah, yeah. the tournament actually started in, in Rancho Santa Fe in, I think, 1937 or 8. And uh, Bing took it down there. And, um, oh, man, I believe, oh, I want to take a wild shot at this. Sam Snead won the first one at Rancho Santa Fe. And then they moved it. They moved it up because Bing lived up up uh, in – oh, he lived up near Aptus up there. Um, I forgot okay. the name of the place. Anyway, so I think he just moved it up there because it was closer to his home. That's – I'm guessing that's the reason. And pretty good reason is Pebble Beach is there, and if he could get that, so he did. And, and then it got there, and then, you know, it, it's uh, – I played in hail, snow, rain. I told you about the first time, first ever – I was leading it at Cyprus and it hailed at, at, at um, excuse me, Spyglass. Yeah. Hailed and got on the green. Now, in those days, we had three golf courses. I think we had four tour officials on our staff at that point. So <laughs> all decisions made for stopping play was you. you, you know, hey, guys, it's too dark. I'm not playing. There was no tour if you couldn't find him. There was nobody with walkie-talkies, nothing. So I remember sitting on a log – a chopped tree down to the left on the eighth hole at Cy or at, excuse me at Spyglass. I sat there for four hours because it would hail, <laughs> and the hail was on the green. And as far as I know, ball doesn't roll really good on hail, so we just quit, and then everybody quits behind you because sometimes it hails here. And hail. Anyway, long story short, in the old days there was no communication whatsoever. You didn't know what was going on because now if you had a hailstorm on the eighth hole at Pebble, it stops, all the golf courses have to stop. They got radios, guys stop play. So anyway, uh, that, that place fogged in where you couldn't, you couldn't get to the golf course, couldn't see, couldn't see 15 feet in front of you. I don't know if you've ever driven through the forest there as they call it, yeah. you're gonna hit a tree if it's foggy, or you're gonna hit something. <laughs> so it, 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 it's, uh, and I, I ended up, I started playing there in the California State Amateur, where we used to play. We play a, a stroke play, and then we go into match play. And we had a ball up there playing. Fifteen dollars cost at Pebble Beach when I was a junior golfer to play. <laughs> that was great. And just, I mean, do you remember those first images of it when you hadn't yet played it at that point? When I played in the amateur, yeah. The thing, I, well, only thing I remember was um, we ended up with seven of us staying at the. Jeez, I can't believe I remember this. The Grossverners Inn, seven of us. We bring, we all brought, we all brought sleeping bags. We're all kids. We don't, we didn't know any better. We're all kids, you know. <laughs> um, we brought our sleeping bags, and we'd sneak into the room one by one so they couldn't see us at the front desk, right? And then we'd all end up in there, and then we'd go, <laughs> we'd get, you know, when the, <laughs> the girls would go in and clean the rooms, they'd leave the cart out in front with the towels. We'd go steal some towels so everybody had a towel. Right, oh, going to steal it, run in, and then the deal was the guy with the lowest score got the bed that night. Everybody else had to sleep on the floor. <laughs> That's what I remember. I got to the quarterfinals once, quarterfinals I think once. That was about as close as I got. But that was 1960. Uh, 
four, five, six around in there sometime. Yeah. Well, here, here's somebody that you spend a lot of time with who is always at the AT&T and has won it a couple of times at the pro-line portion with Kevin Streelman. That is Larry Fitzgerald. He loves the game so much. Give my listeners an idea of at least at Pebble Beach, if you can think of, uh, just a cool moment that he had at AT&T where you've seen him talk to him. Um, I, I was with actually Larry yesterday. He had the bus with him. Um, yeah. They were uh, playing golf down at uh, Whisper Rock. And uh, so he came over the table and talked a little bit. I remember one time with Larry, one time we're, um, he's leading it. He and Kevin are leading it. They're on 16, you know, and we're on the air doing all this stuff. And the next thing I know, he, he puts out and everything. And I hear the tower start shaking and everything. And, uh, and, and somebody behind me goes, hey, Larry wants to say hi. And Larry right up the stairs. <laughs> and he's, hey, I just want to say hi. How you doing? I said, what are you doing? You got two more holes. You guys have got the lead. Get, get down there. And just literally, Larry Fitzgerald is, and I don't say this loosely, he's the nicest guy in the world. You have never met a better guy than Larry Fitzgerald. You really haven't in any way, shape, or form. He's got time for everybody. He's a hell of an athlete. Um, He's, he's philanthropic in our community in, in Arizona. You just you cannot get uh, a better guy than, than Larry. And he'll do that. He'll go out of his way, you know, stupid things. Hey, I wanted to say hi. What? What are you doing? And uh, we talk on the air a little bit. You know, how you do? You know, I just put the headset up to him and cranked it over this way. And uh, But those guys are great doing that. Great. Yeah. Well, Larry, you spent a lot of time with him at Whisper Rock, at the club yeah. you guys are both a part of. So tell our audience, what, how passionate of a golfer is he and how good of a golfer, in your estimation, is he? Well, he's, you know, he'll be out there. He'll be out there on Mondays when they've got play day, when they get done and, and they're beat up. I mean, they're beat up. And he's out there hitting balls all the time on Monday afterwards, you know, hitting balls, trying to get better. He, he's, He's got, a, he's got a really good – his golf swing is, is much better than his golf game. Okay? He looks mm. really good doing it. Um, he just – you know, this sport is so hard. It's hard to you, – you have a game, and then you got to play that game, your golf swing to the game of golf and try to figure it out from there. And so trying to figure out the game of golf with all the little things you do for those guys is really hard because for six months they're getting their brains pounded out. Right. And they can't do any, they can't do any of that stuff. So, and he just kind of semi started playing. I know when he first came to whisper rock, uh, Greg Trias, whose office I'm in right here, that owns whisper rock um, told Larry that Larry had to break 90 before he could join whisper rock. So I'm, I'm trying to remember the story now. So Larry was playing, <laughs> Larry was playing at Paradise Valley Country Club. And he called Greg and said, with six, with, let's see, hold on, two, three. He had three holes to go. And he was something like six or eight over par. So he was going to do it. He was going to do it. And he said, get ready, I'm going to do it. So, Greg didn't get a call for a while. Finally, Larry calls him like three hours later. And he goes, well, what happened? What happened? He goes, I shot 89. 
He said, I started making bogeys and doubles, choking my guts out. And he said, I couldn't stop the spew. It just, it just got all over me. And he said, I had to sit home and just think about it for a while. But he, that's how he got in. He shot 89, choking his guts out, uh, trying to get under the gun. And, um, and I, I, Larry's been a member here long to 10 years, probably something like that. Man, well, well, he finally made it through, and now he's there. Yep. It seems like every day during the summer, or during this off season. Yeah, he right? is. I, yeah, you see him here all the time, all the time. Yeah. Well, another famous NFL player who plays a, de- a decent amount of golf, maybe not as much as Larry, but we've seen him at the AT&T, Tom Brady, of course, playing in the Super Bowl. Anything come to mind with Brady, whether on the course at Pebble at that event or just anywhere else where you've seen Tom? Uh, I remember when I, I saw Tom, Jim, Jim Nance shows a party at um, – a restaurant in uh it's it's invitee only and it's in monterey and um he he gets the wine room downstairs and now it is it is de facto the the party to get invited to there's a big table downstairs in the dungeon it literally is a dungeon and it's the who's who of the tournament is there from quarterbacks to I could tell you who's there, but celebrities and everything else. And um, and Brady came with his, at that time, when he first came and I met him down there, he had his, his girlfriend there. He wasn't married. He wasn't married at that time. Uh, that's as far as I go with that. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and, and he brought his parents. His parents came to the party too. And they were fantastic. So that's the first time I met a great guy. Uh, enjoyed it. And then I saw him afterwards, you know, a couple times there and I go, Hey Tom. And you know, with the mustache I got, you can't, you kind of remember my name, I guess. That's the only reason I remember it, I think. And uh, so th- that's it. All I remember was when I first saw him, man, he had a really good golf swing. And I remember talking to him on the putting green on Saturday. He said, how long have you been playing? He said, yeah, I've been playing a little bit. My dad got in, got me into golf for a while so he says I've been I've been uh, playing for a while it was good I mean it was really really good long languid uh looked like he had a lot of feel and everything else um and that that's about it I don't remember him playing or what he did or anything else but I remember his golf swing was good and he was he was fun at the party you know yeah it was, it's always <laughs> <laughs> well you talked about his wine Oh, yeah, that's right, the calling. Um, hey, so let me ask you this. So so you're on the putting green on a Saturday morning. That is such a cool moment, I think, in in the PGA Tour season, that Saturday morning. So anybody else come to mind that was really a fun character over your years of covering it? Well, Bill Murray is certifiable. I mean, he is total <laughs> whack job, total. I love him to death. I mean, we've, 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 had, we've had some fun together, Bill and I. When I was on the 16th hole, I'll give you one. I was on, excuse me, I'm on the 17th hole in the old days. I, I brought a, a sofa out there. I brought in tables, lamps. I wanted these guys, and I never told my director I was going to do this. I wanted to be like they were on the Carson show, where they had a, instead of sitting there and I just stand up and do an interview, hell, there's always a backup there. Let's, let's put a couch there and put everything else. And I remember when my director saw it, he went nuts. And then he paused, paused, and he goes, I like it. Keep doing it. So <laughs> we did it. And uh, and um, so we were always going through these skits and stuff, right? So I noticed, and Bill, when Bill would come in, all hell would break loose. People would go nuts and everything. 
So I remember one time, the Yacht Club is right by the 17th tee, okay? And there was a guy back inside the ropes by the grandstands that had an ice cream stand, okay? You know, the double the double doors, when you reach down, you get your ice cream. And he, very, it was perfect because everybody in the stands, it was a nice day and ice cream. So I noticed, I look over to the left, and the chef, and a couple of his sous chefs, I think, had come out from the Yacht Club. So between groups, I, I called him over. I said, do you have any fresh fish whole? Big ones. He goes, yeah. I said, can I borrow one? I says, he says, yeah, I'll get you one. Comes back and he has got, he has got a tuna fish. I know it's giant, right? So I go and I stuff it down in the ice cream vending machine. Okay. okay. So I'm, yeah, okay. <laughs> no, one knows, no one knows where we're going with this, right? I figured all the ice creams are encased in plastic, so it's not going to interfere with that. I don't think. I don't know. So here comes Murray, and Bill's up there, and he's jacking around and everything and having fun. And I kind of get up next to him, and I said, there's a tuna in the ice cream truck. And I just walked away. And this is the brilliance of Bill Murray. You give him something like that. It's like a director in a movie. Yeah, Bill, here's what I want this scene like in Caddyshack. You know, there wasn't any script. The only script he told me he had was the Dalai Lama. Everything else was ad lib. Okay. So I gave him that and I sat back. And I went, okay, what's he going to do? And he wandered around talking to the people. And then all of a sudden I see him kind of stroll over to the ice cream, the ice cream dispensary little little uh, walk thing whatever that's called and i see him right hey who wants it he reached out who wants a uh snow cone so i want it and he threw it who wants an ice cream sandwich and he threw it and then he reads who wants a tuna and he took it up and he threw it these people oh they're going nuts i got laughing so hard it was just perfect he looked at me he came by and he goes thanks and he, he, he walked down the deal so Stuff like that, you know. You give Bill, you give Bill the tool. Sit back and watch him, and see how he incorporates it. It's just, it's always brilliant, always brilliant. Yes, well, hell of a comedian he was. I can't. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about one of your old colleagues, Dave Faraday. Whether it was at AT and T Pebble Beach or just in general, what's a, a really fun story that you think of when you think of Dave Faraday? That I can tell. That you could tell, yes, yes. Uh, uh, was this before? Um, was he sober then, or was? <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of criteria um, on that. Um, Did you guys do it party in the tap room one year or anything crazy like that? Uh, just... He hated he hated the AT and T. Hated it with a passion. He um, he'd never show up Saturday. All the announcers get down there was kind of a you know it, it, it was. It was kind of an indoctrination there that you would go and sit in the putting green and talk to all the all the celebrities about whatever. You know, you never got it on the air, but you talk to him. He wouldn't even get near him because he knew he had to interview him. And he was mortified. And here's a guy that's got his own show doing with celebrities stuff with presidents, with <laughs> with the, the, the top of the food chain in every corporate um, um, celebrity, uh, uh, whatever it is, athletics. And he was scared to death to talk to these guys because he didn't know what they were going to do. And I go, 
well, you're one of the great impromptu guys in the world. What do you, I hate it. I just hate this. You can get him on the air and ask him. He hated it. So he never really at AT&T, he just, he, he was just, you could tell he didn't want to do it the whole time. Didn't want to do it. Um, AT&T. Okay, we used to do this thing. We used to do this thing called the late night show, David and I, for four tournaments. And it was a 15 minute long show that they inserted before um, the um, Letterman, uh, maybe? Late Letterman, night? exactly. Yeah. I was trying to figure the right, right guy, guy was doing it at that time. Letterman show. Letterman get pissed because we were always bumping 15 minutes late, a golf show. And David and I do stupid things. I mean, just stuff you cannot believe. So one time we decided that we're going to do. It had to do with a boat, and we had to go. We took it from Monterey, from the from the wharf down there. We had to go out around the peninsula and out by the 16th hole, there at uh, maybe it was the seventh hole. We finally ended up in in uh, near Pebble Beach, seventh green or something. We were doing something. It got blowing and the thing, and everybody got sick on the boat. And we were we got all the way out there. We we didn't do anything because we couldn't shoot anything. The wind's blowing, it started to rain, and everybody was throwing up. And so uh, we sailed all the way back, throwing up. And that's, that's the only thing I remember about, about Faraday there. He hated, he hated to do the interviews, and then he got sick on that. It was just, it was a mess. What we used to do, we'd go out to the Lone Cypress and do the, the closing of the thing. It was freezing. And all I remember were the bad things. You know, the, it was always weather. Yeah, it was always weather related. And, uh, but we were still in Monterey, so it couldn't, Carmel, it couldn't be any better. But um, Faraday stayed in, indoors most of the time during that, that whole fiasco at, at Pebble Beach. Yes, yes. Well, here, uh, as we wrap up, I do want to ask you about um, betting and, and golf betting. And in some ways, you know, we're seeing how much it's, it's exploding there on Phoenix Open and other events like that. Uh, with dedicated betting shows, but you were kind of ahead of the of game with some of that, weren't you? Well, no, I, I mean, the, the tour, <laughs> the tour stopped me from betting at one time. I'll, I, as, as I go back, I remember what the last time was, um, I was on the 16th hall at uh, Castle Pines for the international. And with, when, <laughs> when Mickelson, now Phil and I are obviously, Phil grew up here, ASU. I lived here. We're out of Whisper Rock together. As you know, Phil likes to gamble. That's really a big secret, right? So yes. every time he would get to the green, the hole I was on, which is always 16, I'd look down and if Bones would look up, I would give him, I would go, I would go three to one. So if he had a if he had a 20 footer, it was three to one on 20 bucks. Okay? 20 bucks. Because that was, I didn't want to argue over the thing. It was always a standard 20. And I cannot tell you how many times I wanted 20s up and threw it down on the ground for Bones to pick up. Bones said, I'd give Bones the deal. He'd go over to Phil and they'd be looking at the putt. You could see him getting his ear. And then Phil would look up and give me, give me his, his thumbs up. And I remember the last time I did it, I threw it, I threw it on the ground at the 16th hole, the International Part 3. Threw it on the ground. Bones got it, took it over. And I remember the tour called. I don't know who saw it. I don't know who turned me in. Somebody saw it and said, they're gambling. They're gambling out there. And uh, openly in the tour told CBS to make me stop gambling. Well, now 
<laughs> to her as embraced <laughs> gambling where they're throwing numbers all over. So in essence, yeah, you're right. You're right. I Maybe I started the whole damn thing. Um, there was a lot more gambling out there before. But anyway, that, that was stopped. I got to admit that they stopped me from doing it. But uh, it, it's interesting. I don't know if we're going to have announcers anymore or bookies up there, you know? Yeah. And now we've got, uh, okay, we've got John Rom now at plus 268. And we've got uh, against uh, uh, Justin Thomas, who is plus 134. So my action would be on, you know, and I'm going to play. I think the value is on this. You know, it's going to get interesting because I'll guarantee at one point they're going to hire a book. And they're going to go in there and tell you how to bet and what to do. So wow. we got, we've got FanDuel. We signed a deal with FanDuel and DraftKings. So it's, it's all in. We're going to try to piggyback the NFL and create another revenue source. And um, I just don't bet on Patrick Reed. That's another whole story. <laughs> you said don't, don't bet on Reed? <laughs> well, they, you saw uh, what was the they, – they pulled all of his bets. Um, I forgot the point something. Yeah, they, point, they, points they, bet. Points bet. Points bet. That's yep. it. That's it. They pulled all that. So you got another little problem there. <laughs> so we got another show for that, but never mind. Yeah. Well, as I wrap up here, speaking of shows, your, your show McCord and, and Stoltz, what you guys have done here, how, how rewarding is that? I mean, Drew's a great guy and I'm, you guys have so much fun, but how rewarding is that show for you guys? Yeah, it was, I, I, I told uh, uh, Drew Sleaze, as we know him, he's a member of Westbrook and I've known him for a long time. He was a kid and he was always a smart ass. Okay. Which <laughs> reminded me of me. And uh, he was quick witted like Faraday real quick. And he wanted to get in the business. So I got him in a couple of deals and everything. And I told him, listen, when I get old and frail, like I am now, I said, uh, why don't we, let's do something. And, you know, we'll do a little radio thing and we'll do a pod, whatever, and let's do something. So that's kind of how it evolved. I, I stepped down. And then, um, so we're doing this show. And for me, it's just cathartic. I, you know, I can still stay in the game and we can talk about crap and, and um, entertain each other. And the good thing is nobody's listening, so it doesn't really matter what our content is. That the last, I hit the honest to God, the last one I did for the first ten minutes, he's telling me about his club championship, how he got beat out of the first round at the Rock last week, and I'm kind of you know morose and kind of going down. And he goes, "What's wrong?" And I go, "Well, here's what's wrong. When you get to my age, at 72, I say, here's the stuff you get in the mail." I said, "Read it." So he reads it and it says, "Dear Gary." Um, we would like to uh, contact you more to get some more information um, about uh, your current address and everything else so we can keep you current with, with, our, with our facility of, of Neptune Society, which is cremation. And I go, what do you mean you want more information <laughs> from me? What, what, do you, what, do you, what are you guys trying to do? So now the, the last... I, honest to God, I got this. They heard it. This company, this company, telling the truth now, this company takes, I forgot the name of it. I've got the brochure. We're going to call them too. I already did. Uh, this company takes your ashes and compresses them like you do carbon, compresses them under unbelievable pressure to make diamonds, and they make zirconian diamonds out of your ashes, and they put it in jewelry. So I design now uh, the cheapest one is three thousand dollars, and it's uh, one carat to point oh nine. Oh, it's one carat, let's say, and it costs three thousand dollars. And I put it in jewelry. So I designed my jewelry. So it'd be like this. 
for my 20 buddies. I'm gonna spend 60 grand. Um, I'm gonna get a nose ring for my boys, which is gonna be cool for guys that are 75. A nose ring that has got a magnet on it and it's got a, a little ball mark with my zirconian imprint right there of my ashes in the front. So when you go to mark your ball, you take it off your nose and mark it and then put it back in. Now, can you imagine any more fun than 75 year old guys doing that? So that's, there's a company that does that. They, wow. So I think we have some new sponsors on our radio show and it's going to have to do with death and cremation. I think that's going to be the, uh, the overriding, uh, the overriding theme of our show. <laughs> that's how good it's going. Yeah. Great stuff, Gary. Hey, it's been a pleasure getting to know you more here on Beyond the Clubhouse. Thanks for joining and uh, look forward to hearing more of your show. I know you're self-deprecating about it, but you guys have a great back and forth though. Well, thank you. We have a good time. Thanks a lot. You already enjoyed it. Absolutely love spending some time there with Gary McCord here on Beyond the Clubhouse. Hope you enjoyed it. And uh, great to pick his brain about some of these fun memories of Pebble Beach. Of course, one of my favorite weeks of the year. And this guy is like a library of knowledge uh, from back in the day, the old Crosby clam bake and what he was able to pull out of the hat from his memory bank. So great to visit with him. Uh, my thanks as well to his friend of many years, uh, Leslie Ann Wade, who helped set up that interview as well. And uh, yeah, check out Instagram. I'm going to have videos, of course, posted this whole week at Garrett Johnson Golf, as well as at Beyond the Clubhouse podcast. Check out Twitter as well, at Johnston Garrett and at Beyond Clubhouse. This guy is such an engaging interview. You're going to have so many fun, short 30-second clips with Gary McCord. Hope you enjoyed it, and stay tuned. we got another big interview coming here for the week of Pebble Beach, the AT&T Pro-Am. So stay tuned for that here on Beyond the Clubhouse. <laughs>